welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Are you making progress in your spiritual life? Do you have trouble defining what progress is? Jesus doesn't. Lead teacher Jeff Norris starts the new series, Colossians, The Supremacy of Christ, with this sermon entitled Progress and Gratitude, which covers Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Good morning, Perimeter Church. Today's scripture reading comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all of the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Ephesus, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and and has made known to us your love in the spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thank you, Mike. Let's read aloud together our prayer of illumination. Almighty God and most merciful Father, we humbly fall before your majesty and ask that the seed of your word, now sown among us, may take such deep root that persecution may not uproot it, nor the thorny cares of this life choke it. Instead, as seed sown in good ground, may it bring forth 30, 60, or a hundredfold as your heavenly wisdom has appointed. Amen and amen. Many, many years ago, when I was a teenager, uh, I did something really stupid. How many of us can start a sentence that way? Especially if you're a teenage boy. Not that teenage girls are incapable of doing stupid things, but teenage boys, man, that's kind of what we're known for, right? Frontal lobe has not fully developed. We are um, spontaneous, impulsive, and we just simply don't think sometimes. I was with a group of friends at a a nearby lake uh, close to the town I grew up in, and uh, we were just hanging out, and 
Somebody at some point, may have been me, I don't remember, said, let's swim to the other side. It wasn't close. You know, the distance was, was pretty far, but in our minds, we thought, let's do it. You know, I, I, the motivation, I don't know. Perhaps let's see if we can do it. Let's prove that we can do it. Let's challenge ourselves. I, I don't remember the motivation. It was just simply, let's do it. And we all said, okay. So we start swimming. Uh, we get about maybe halfway and realize, wow, this is a lot farther than we thought. But we somehow, in our extreme intellect, thought we shouldn't go back. We might be farther than we think. Let's keep going. And so we kept swimming. And the more we swam, the more it felt like the other side of the lake was getting farther away. It, it felt as though we were not making any progress. And I had switched at this point from freestyle swimming overhand to I was just floating on my back doing this number, you know, and just trying to make some, and then you turn around and you, you know, you tread water to see and you just go, oh no, I'm nowhere closer. Now, truly, there were moments where I thought this is the end. I'm not going to make it. And there were moments when I looked at some of my buddies and thought, they're not going to make it. And uh, a boat comes by and sees all these flailing teenage boys in the water and says, do you guys need help? To which we immediately said, yes. And so about, I think there were six or seven, us, seven of us, we pile into this little boat and he takes us to shore. It saves our lives like I would have died that day for sure. So teenage kids, don't emulate me in that. Don't ever try to swim across a lake. It's not as close as you think, okay? Here's the point. There were moments, like I said, where as we're swimming, you stop and you look up and you think, I'm not making any progress. The, the shore is getting farther away, or at least it felt that way. And it occurs to me that the Christian life can feel like that. It can feel like, am I making any progress? Are we, collectively, are we making any progress? Is growth happening? Is maturity happening? The more I swim, as it were, in this following Jesus thing, the more it feels like I'm not getting anywhere. I don't know if you feel that, but I have certainly felt that many, many, many times in my Christian life. And one of the things that we have to remember, one of the things that we're going to see in this passage, at the very beginning of this book that we're beginning to study for the next 10 weeks, this book of Colossians, this beautiful letter to the believers in Colossae from the Apostle Paul, is we're going to see him right here at the beginning remind them, pray for them, thank God for the progress of the gospel in their lives and throughout the world. And I wonder... And we can learn more about these believers, even in the book of Revelation, where there's a town not too far from Colossae where it's called Laodicea. And we read in Revelation that they were lukewarm. They were neither hot nor cold, such that God would want to spit them out of his mouth. And so we know there's been a struggle with these believers. We know that there's a struggle for them to believe God is at work. God, the gospel is doing its work. The Spirit is 
moving. We have to be reminded constantly that the work of Christ in his church corporately and the work of Christ in, his, in our lives individually is a progressive, constant work. And sometimes we see it clearly and vividly, and sometimes we don't. But God is faithful. We, we have to remember verses like Philippians 1.6 where he promises us, I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Sometimes that feels like, if you're just being honest and you're a follower of Jesus, it feels like that's an empty promise sometimes. Are you going to do that? Because I just don't see it. I don't, I don't sense that that work is being done, but it is. It most certainly is. Think of 2 Corinthians 2, 14, where it says, But thanks be to God who in Christ Jesus always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. It's happening. He is doing a good work within us. The fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus is going through in and through his church, individually and corporately. But if you're like me, you can begin to doubt that in seasons of discouragement, where you feel like you've been treading water and you're not making any spiritual progress. So good to study books of the Bible, to not just take little pieces here and there. We do that from time to time. We have series, teaching series, where it'll be more topical in nature, where we'll have a topic that we're studying and then dig into the Word. But it's always good, and we try to do this often, to walk through a book of the Bible, to see what God would have for us and understanding the progressing nature of, a, of an epistle like this one and what God is teaching his church then and his church now. A couple of just very quick tidbits on this letter. It's written by the Apostle Paul. It's probably written somewhere around 61 to 63 AD. He wrote it from Rome while he was in prison. And it's written to this little town in modern-day Turkey. If you want to think about it, that helps you. If you're, you kind of think geographically, you want to see it on a map, think modern-day Turkey, somewhat southwest corner. And this is the town of Colossae that he wrote to. Paul probably didn't found this church, uh, but it was founded. It was planted and started on his third missionary journey, probably by Epaphras, who he refers to in this, pas in this passage. A co-laborer, a co-worker in the gospel work as Paul was making disciples and starting churches throughout his missionary journeys. Let's jump in. Verses 1 through 3. I'm going to read it again. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. He always identifies himself first, and this is normal in that way, in day and time, obviously even for us today. If we were to write a letter, something that we've all forgotten how to do, but if we were to write a letter, what are we going to do at the beginning? We're going to announce ourselves Probably in the first line, perhaps. Maybe you wait and they don't know until the very end. But it's common for us to say, this is who's writing you. Paul's doing the same thing. Paul, but he says, this is Paul, but he, he, he quickly identifies his authority. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Why is that so significant? Well, he wants his readers, his recipients to remember or know, if they, don't, if they didn't know before, that he is claiming the authority of 
of Christ. In other words, he's, by using that word apostle, he's saying that my authority and my appointment is from no other than Jesus himself. So receive this letter as though it is from the Lord because he is my authority and he is the one who authorized me to be a missionary to the Gentiles. So he's my authority and my appointment. So immediately with that, that moniker apostle, he's saying this is not just for me. This is not just some letter that you should heed if you want to. This is from the authority of no one less than Christ Jesus himself. Then he says this. He identifies Timothy as with him, but Paul is the primary writer here. He says in verse 2, to the saints and faithful followers in Christ at Colossae. The saints. Such an interesting word. I guarantee you that if you went to these believers, these Colossian believers, and you said, do you feel like a saint? Do you identify yourself as a saint? They would say no. In fact, as we learn more, as we get into this book and we learn more about their struggles and things that they're believing that are outside the gospel, they don't even look like saints, but they are. Right? And for some of us, perhaps you grew up in a Roman Catholic background where this idea of sainthood is only for the ultra-spiritual, and the church has to pronounce sainthood upon you. We, in the evangelical Protestant faith, understanding the scriptures to say something very different than that, and it's this. It's that all believers, if you have believed upon Christ, you are, in God's eyes, a saint and a sinner. You still struggle with sin, but because, here's the key, Because the righteousness of Jesus cloaks you now. It's not your righteousness, it's his. Through faith in Christ, you are now covered, as it were, in the righteousness of Christ, so that when God looks at you, he sees Jesus in all of his perfection and all of his righteousness and all of his goodness, such that God calls every believer a saint, which is profoundly awesome. Because we don't feel that way. We know our struggles. We know we still wrestle with sin, but yet we are in Christ saints before the throne of God. And so he says to them, to the saints and faithful brothers, he's not making two categories here. That's all one category. Brothers, that word in the Greek is brothers and sisters. So he's saying that you're both saints and brothers and sisters, meaning you're all a part of the family of sainthood before the Lord. And then he finishes his greeting by saying, grace and peace from God our Father. Very quickly here, don't don't move past that. He's saying everything that we have, all of it, everything that we have flows from the Father. And it's all of grace and it all ends in peace. It's all unmerited favor. There's nothing that we did to deserve it. We didn't achieve sainthood. We didn't aspire to some status before the Lord. Jesus did it all. It's all by grace, and the result is flourishing inwardly and ultimately when he returns again in all of reality. This wholeness, this whole reality of peace is ours in Christ Jesus. As we progress, though, to the very first thing he begins to address with them after his greeting, 
I'm going to give you three things that we see that should mark, and don't, don't be overwhelmed. Sometimes when pastors or people say, this is what we should do or should be about, that, that word should can really overwhelm us. Well, I, I feel a weight with that. Don't feel that. It's, it's actually a, an invitation into what, what does it begin to look like to walk with Jesus? What things should mark my life in a way that gives life in the way that God has designed and orchestrated? And so Paul, from the very beginning, says this in the first few verses, beginning of verse 3. I'm summarizing it by saying this. Thank God for gospel progress. Something that we should do on a consistent basis. I'm even going to say daily basis. If you're a follower of Jesus, one of the things that marks us, one of the things that is a part of our habit daily is that we thank God for gospel progress in our lives and in the church, whether we see it or not, because we know it's happening. Listen to what he says, verse 3. He says we, he's just identified himself, uh, uh, Timothy with himself. So the, the we there is Paul and Timothy. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And then he gives reasons as to why he thanks God the Father. Let's look at four of them quickly here. Reasons for thankfulness. Look what he says. First, he says, here's number one. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. So he, he thanks God the Father for their faith. And we know from other parts of Scripture that faith is a gift from God. So in every way, we're, he's not saying to the Colossians, thank you for your great faith. He's thanking God for the faith that he gave them. We've seen your faith. We've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. And every time we pray for you, we thank God for that progress of faith. Secondly, he follows that up and he says, and of the love that you have for all the saints. Is that perfect love? Certainly not. It's mingled with sin and selfish motives and all kinds of things, but... The evidence of the love of Jesus is in them such that Paul and Timothy have heard, probably from Epaphras, of their love for one another. He's heard of their faith, he's heard of their love, and what is he doing? He's thanking God for the progress of Christ in them, in their faith, and in their love for one another. I love this quote from one biblical commentator. Listen to this, you won't see it on the screen, but it says this. The same magnet, Christ Jesus, who attracts sinners to himself and changes them into saints, simultaneously, listen to this, simultaneously draws them into closer fellowship with each other. Thus, this is a bit mind-blowing here, thus, ideally speaking, every believer enshrines his fellow believer, whether they may dwell Wherever they may dwell and whatever race they may be, he enshrines them in his heart. That sounds weird to us. I'm not going to enshrine you. I'm not going to worship you. What is he saying there? Well, this, this, this biblical commentator is just trying to get us to understand that Christ in us is a significant reality such that we should love one another in such a magnificent way that to a watching world, it almost seems as though we're enshrining one another. If you're like me, you go, man, I have failed miserably on that front, if that's the standard. 
Some of you know this is a bit of a soapbox for me. How we love one another, Jesus said this, how we love one another is the, the, the evidence of who we are in Jesus to a watching world that knows nothing of him. It's, it's one of our evidences of the faith that if nothing else, if, if a person who thinks the whole Jesus thing is, completely, uh, is a complete lie, and that everyone who believes it is ignorant, even if that's where they stand, they should at the very least be able to watch the family of believers and go, but I'll give them this, they love one another like I have never seen. They even have disagreements among one another in certain arenas of life and how this should happen and how this should happen, and how, but they love one another. That is an incredible testimony to the witness of the church. Thirdly, reasons for thanksgiving, he says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. A triad, we've heard that before, right? Faith, hope, and love. I've seen your faith, I've heard of your faith. I've heard of the love that you have for one another and the hope, our glorious hope, the hope that we have laid up for us in heaven Where is all this headed? It's headed not to an unsure, wishful thinking hope. It is headed towards a sure, solid, concrete hope, anchored, guaranteed in the seal of the Holy Spirit upon each and every believer. Paul says, Whether you feel it or see it or not, Colossian believers, listen, your faith, your love, the hope that we have laid up for us in heaven is enough to thank God every single day. Every time I pray for you, I thank God for these things. Because it's happening. He's at work. But he gives one more reason. He says in verses, the end of verse five and beginning of verse six, he says, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is, and here's the fourth reason. Verse three was, was, uh, was faith, love, and hope. Then he says, it is bearing fruit and growing. The gospel on which you believed when when Epaphras and others came through your town and proclaimed the gospel and you believed upon it and the church was birthed, that same gospel, it's not just happening where you are, Colossians, it's happening everywhere. It's bearing fruit and growing throughout the world. Listen to these quotes from a couple of second century uh, believers, Justin Martyr, may have heard of him, it's where we even get the phrase that we were martyred for the faith, as he was the first martyr of the church. He was a second century Christian philosopher. Listen to what he said. He said, there is no people, Greek or barbarian or of any other race, by whatever appellation or manners they they may be uh, distinguished, however ignorant of arts or agriculture, whether they dwell in tents or wander about in covered wagons, among whom prayers and thanksgiving are not offered in the name of the crucified Jesus to the Father and creator of all things. Justin Martyr is essentially saying there are people of all walks of life 
doesn't matter socioeconomic status or race or anything about who they are where the gospel has not taken root throughout the world. Tertullian, one of the second century early church fathers, he says this, we are but of yesterday and yet we already fill your cities, islands, camps, your palace, senate, and forum. We have left, left you only your temples. The church exploded by the second century. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing. Listen to scripture, Acts 19.10 says, all those of the Roman province of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Acts 19.20, the word of the Lord grew and increased mightily. 1 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9 says, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. I'll give you one more. Philippians 1, 12 and 13 says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. The gospel, it's good for the Colossians to be reminded, the gospel is bearing fruit. The gospel that you believed, the grace of truth in Jesus Christ that you believed, that can become so enticing to begin to believe that it's not really doing its work anymore. No, it is. It is bearing fruit and growing in you, through you, around you, to the ends of the earth. And it hasn't stopped for 2,000 years. And it won't stop until Jesus comes again. Sometimes, sometimes there's pieces of art where if you stand too close to them, you don't get what's really happening in the picture. If you stand too close, you, you, you see too closely just a bunch of paint or whatever it may be that was used to create the image. But if you just take a few steps back and survey it from a farther distance, you go, oh, that, that's beautiful. That makes sense now. It's come into view. I, I think that's what happens a lot of times with us in our own personal lives. First of all, we can so individualize our faith that we lose the corporate reality of it altogether. And so we, when God wants us to be encouraged by how the gospel's going forth corporately, we're just looking selfishly and we're not even a attuned to that. But even individually, sometimes we can be so close to the work of God in our lives. In other words, we're asking God, where have you been this past week? Where, where have you been even this past month? And we're so close in this timeline of events in our lives and we're suffering and we're struggling and things are hard. But one of the things that God is calling us to do is, is it, would you just take a step back or two, three, four, five, and would you look at the whole landscape of your life and be encouraged at what I've done. Where you used to be, not a week ago, not a month ago, but 10 years ago, look where you are now. Look at the faithful work of my grace in your life. You're not where you were, praise God. You're not where you wanna be, but it's a, it's a, it's a faithful work of gospel progress in your life. Even more, we really struggle with this. 
Try to look outside of yourself and look at the work of God in his church throughout the centuries. Step back even from what's happening in America today. God, where are you? And step back and look at the whole of Christian history and say, oh, how glorious, God, of what you've done over the centuries for your namesake. The gospel is growing. It is bearing fruit. It has from day one, and it will to the very end. Be encouraged. Secondly, as the passage continues, we get to verse 9, and we see that Paul asks God for gospel maturity in these believers. He thanks them for gospel progress. He asks God for gospel maturity. Look, look at verse 9. He says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Let me pause right there and just, just say, hey, look, Paul is not saying that he prays every second of every day for the Colossians. That would be humanly impossible. What, what we need to understand is that essentially what he's saying is he's saying that we, Timothy and I and others, we pray with a fervency and with a committed spirit to pray for you such that uh, it looks as though perhaps at some level that it's without ceasing. We pray with such regularity and fervency for you is probably the best way to read that. He says, we have not ceased to pray for you and then listen to what he asks for them on behalf of them before the Lord. Ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God that you may be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. I'm going to read that again, and then I'm going to give you one application. Listen to this again. This is what Paul says that he's praying for the believers in Colossae. that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, that his delight is in you, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. There is so much that we could sink our teeth into in just those few verses. Here's the one application I'm going to give you. What if every single one of us who call ourselves Christians, every single one of us who are Christ followers, what if we began to pray that exact prayer for one another every single day? Every day, we go before the Lord and we just say, oh God, 
Would you do these things in us? Would you do them in me? Yes, yes, please do them in me. But would you do them in my fellow believer? And of course, pray for people by name in that. But it occurs to me, this question, how different would our reality be if we prayed this over one another faithfully? I think it would be drastically different, not at all to shame us into who we are now and where we are now as fellow strugglers in the faith, but if this were the reality that we prayed over one another faithfully, the way in which we would operate with one another and the way in which we would operate with the world around us would be profoundly different. Watch what he does next. Verse 12, he says this. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's as if Paul, as he gets to, and of course he didn't write with verse numbers back then, but as he gets to verse 12, I absolutely love how he closes out this train of thought. Even though, side note, in the Greek, if you want to laugh about something and how Paul would get excited and just not stop, from verse 9 to verse 20 is all one sentence. He just just gets so excited talking about this stuff. The gospel, how it's bearing fruit, what we should pray for one another, what he's done for us. And then he gets into where we'll go next week, the, the supremacy of Christ. And he just, just, he just like, I'm not even going to put a period here. I'm just going to keep going because this is so glorious and so good. But this is one train of thought that he has right here is he's talking about how I pray for you, Colossians, and how I want you to pray for one another. And as he gets through that little thought, he says, but why? It's as if he's asking, why? Why should we pray these things for one another? Why should I long for these things for you? To be filled with the knowledge of his will and to be filled with all patience and suffering with joy. Why? Well, he says this. Because he qualified you. Don't miss this wording. He qualified you. He qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And then he keeps going because he delivered us. Don't miss the wording. He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us, transferred us us into the kingdom of his beloved son. But it gets even better because he redeemed us, because he forgave us. Paul is just mesmerized here at the end of this thought. Why should we pray for these things? Why do we thank God for gospel progress? Why do we ask God for gospel maturity? Why? Because he's delivered us. Gospel deliverance, that's why. 
Gospel progress and gospel maturity are always rooted in and birthed out of gospel deliverance. Always. What, what do I mean by that? Let me, just, let me just read this to you. It just means this. It means that we never move past, no matter how long you've walked with Jesus, we never move past the fundamental truths of the gospel in our journey of faith. We always come back every single day to what he has done for us as the birthplace, as the motivation for why we do what we do. We don't grow out of the gospel, we grow into it. We don't mature out of the gospel, we mature into it. I love, I've always appreciated and loved this quote from Tim Keller ever since I read it years ago. He says this, the gospel is not just the ABCs, but the A to Z of the Christian life. It is inaccurate to think the gospel is what saves non-Christians, and then Christians mature by trying hard to live according to biblical principles. It is, a more, accurate, it is more accurate to say that we are saved by believing the gospel, and then we are transformed in every part of our minds, hearts, and lives by, the, by believing the gospel more and more deeply as life goes on. Does it mean that we don't apply biblical principles to our lives? But what many of us do, and the reason many of us struggle is because we think that the gospel was what got us into the faith and now it's up to my own merit and achievement and, a, and, and performance to continue to grow now that I'm in. What Paul is reminding the Colossians is that the gospel is how we grow at every turn, meaning that we always, always, always come back to that birthplace as our motivation that it's all by grace. He did it all. He delivered us from the domain of darkness. He transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Listen, I want you to hear me on something. If God never did anything else for us in all the years that we live on this earth, if he did nothing else for us, he gave us no blessing of health, no blessing of, of wealth, no blessing of healthy relationships, if he, if he gave us nothing other than, than, than he has qualified us for the inheritance of the saints in the life and he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, if that's all he ever did, that's enough to worship him and praise him for all of eternity. We sang earlier that he is our salvation. And that's enough. He is enough. There's a hymn written by William T. Sleeper. What a name. William T. Sleeper in 1887. I want you to think about, I want you to think about what this passage is closed with where that he's delivered us and this word, I want you to hone in on this word, and transferred us. He's done it, completely by grace. I think this hymn captures it so well, this transferring of what I was, what was my reality, to what Jesus has taken me, plucked me out of, and transferred me into. It says, out of my bondage, sorrow, and night, into thy freedom, gladness, and light, out of my sickness, into thy health, out of my wanting, into thy wealth, out of my sin into thyself, Jesus, I come to you.
Out of my shameful failure and loss into the glorious gain of thy cross, out of earth's sorrows into thy balm, out of life's storms into thy calm, out of distress into jubilant psalm, Jesus, I come to thee. Out of unrest and arrogant pride into thy blessed will to abide. Out of myself to dwell in thy love, out of despair into raptures above, upward forever on wings like a dove, Jesus, I come to thee. Out of the fear and dread of the tomb into the joy and light of thy home. Out of the depths of ruin untold into the peace of thy shattering fold or sheltering fold. Ever thy glorious face to behold. Jesus, I come to thee. Perhaps you're sitting here or listening online or somehow hearing this and you've never come to him. You don't know the reality of being delivered from the domain of darkness, of sin, of death, of evil, of hell, and transferred into the glorious light, reality of the kingdom of the beloved son of Jesus Christ. Would this be the, the time, the moment that you come? For the believer, many of you have been caught in the performance wheel, the hamster wheel of trying harder, doing better, and God's call to you is to remember the gospel. Thank him for gospel progress. Ask him for gospel maturity. Praise him for gospel deliverance. Lord, would you help us do that? Wherever we are, whatever place or stage that we're in of life, faith, would you help us come to you to experience and know that glorious reality of being qualified and to the inheritance of saints of light, of being delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of your beloved son. May that be all, all of our realities and may we be overwhelmed with joy would you do it for your glory in Jesus' name? Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.